Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Monday, and we are posting an instant classic for your inspiration. This message may come from anywhere around the globe, but is sure to stay with you for years to come. Make sure to subscribe from wherever you're listening to continue hearing life-changing messages. If you like what you hear, please support World Evangelism by subscribing to the premium version of this podcast for even more sermons. Links are in the show notes. Enjoy today's sermon. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hey Amen. It is an incredible honor to be back here in Las Vegas and to uh, be a part of what God is doing here, and uh, what a tremendous uh, presence of God. And I, I think it's been about three years since I've been here. You can see the growth and just the favor of God. And so I really do appreciate the invitation from Pastor Lamb, and uh, I'll believe God to help us. I want to encourage you to be here uh, during this revival. These are special times. I, I have been praying and asking God to help me to know what to minister and to have clarity and direction. And uh, I really want to encourage you to come back tonight. I'm going to preach on uh, the lost generation and um, uh, Occupy Wall Street uh, uh, tonight. Uh, you know, there was a tea party. Now we have the pot party. And so I want to encourage you to, to be back here tonight. In fact, I don't know if you haven't occupied Vegas. Uh, in fact, I think Vegas has been occupied for a long time. <laughs> you run down there, amen, and bring some down here to this service tonight, amen, and believe God to help them. Hallelujah. Genesis 37, hallelujah. It's been an exciting morning. My wife uh, in San Antonio, they're having a uh, rock and roll marathon this morning, and uh, my wife participated, ran the half marathon, and so uh, since early this morning, followed that before church, and she finished, uh, hallelujah, and still healthy, no collapse, um, and uh, excited, and so that was very, very good. Now she can't wait to do a full marathon. The problem is that uh, she's going to drag me along with her, and so... <laughs> I'm, I'm concerned about that. Amen. So it's been a good morning. Though. I've got the victory. Genesis 37. We're going to go there in the word of God. I have a CD in my car. I think it's still in my car that somebody gave me a while back. And it is the um, it is called the, the world's greatest speeches. And these are recordings of some of the greatest speeches since they've been able to record. And on that uh, uh, CD, you'll have, uh, you have some speeches by Winston Churchill. You have Douglas MacArthur's famous uh, old soldiers never die speech that he gave before Congress. Um, and uh, one of my favorite speeches uh, there was a, a speech given by Ronald Reagan when he was president in the late 1980s, around 1987, I believe, when he stood in front of the Berlin Wall. And in this speech, of this Ronald uh, Reagan begins to talk about the failure of communism and about the uh, prosperity that comes with capitalism. And you have to picture it. There are thousands of Berliners gathered around. Um, and at the end of this speech, Ronald Reagan says the famous words, um, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. And when he says that, you can hear thousands and thousands of Berliners uh, lift their voice and cheer. And with the matter of months of that speech being given, indeed the Berlin Wall fell. You know, over the years I've had the privilege of preaching in Russia many times and 
have built many good friends there and many good relationships. And one time when I was there, I was talking to some of the older men in the church, men that are my age or so, that grew up during the height of the Cold War. And I asked these men, what did you think of America back then when living in the Soviet Union? And it was interesting because they said um, we were very afraid of America because we believed America was looking for any excuse to bomb Russia. We believed that Ronald Reagan was a cowboy, that he was crazy, uh, and we lived in fear because we were told over and over again that America wanted to go to war with us. And I'm like, oh, that's not true, uh, but, but that's what they were told and that's what they believed. And I, and I thought about something that I remember reading years ago that during the 1960s, a delegation of Russians came to the United States um, and they were on tour and part of their tours, they were brought into an American grocery store. And when they walked into this grocery store, it was just as you and I are familiar, you know, it's loaded with food and it's well stocked. And when these Russians walked in there and saw that, uh, they said, this is a trick. You knew that we were coming, and so you went ahead and stocked all these shelves uh, to make us think that that is what an American grocery store looks like. We're on you. We know this isn't true. And they said, no, 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 this is the average American grocery store. Oh, no, no, that's not true. Uh, we were told that uh, in America there's very few wealthy people, uh, and then the other 99% live in deep poverty. And they did not believe what their own eyes told them. And I thought about that in light of what I want to preach on this morning. Because the fact is, there were people in the Soviet Union and in other communist countries, Eastern Bloc nations, um, who were, from the moment they were born, were told a lie. And some of those people believed that lie until the day they died. What they had been taught, what they had been told wasn't true, but they believed it was true. And because they believed it was true, a lie change their life. I want to preach a sermon this morning called The Power of a Lie. And I want to talk to you about the possibility that you have been lied to, but you believe it. And because you believe a lie, that lie is oppressing you. And let's look in Genesis 37, beginning in verse 3. The power of a lie. The scripture says, Now Jacob uh, dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Verse 4 says, When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him. And could not speak peaceably to him. Okay, now for time, I'm going to kind of paraphrase the rest of this chapter. So the brothers can't stand their little brother Joseph. He's the son of, of Rachel, Joseph, uh, Jacob's beloved. And, and so the Bible says one day uh, Joseph is going out to the field to see his brothers. And uh, when they see him coming, the envy in their heart uh, overtakes them. And the Bible says they decide to kill him. You know, how many know that when you envy somebody, only God knows what evil you're capable of, right? And so they, they don't kill him, uh, Reuben intercedes, and so what they end up doing is selling their brother into slavery to some traveling merchants, and Joseph is sold into slavery and taken into Egypt. 
And now the brothers are left with a dilemma because what are they going to tell their father when he begins to inquire about Joseph? And so what they did is they took Joseph's coat of many colors that his father had given him and they dipped it in some blood and then they presented it to their father to suggest to their father that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And this is where we pick up the story now. Go down to verse 32. They sent the tunic of many colors and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him without doubt. Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted, and he said, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Verse 36 says, The Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, and captain of the guard. Let's pray. I ask, Father, right now for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that truth shall overrule every lie. God, I know there are people in this building uh, who are believing a lie right now. I pray let let them know the truth. And let the truth set them free. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now I want to begin and talk about the power of a lie this morning. And so here we have in our story, as I said, here's Jacob, the grandson of Abraham. His ten sons, jealous over the eleventh son, uh, Joseph, um, sell him into slavery and try to pass off um, his uh, being missing as him being killed by uh, a wild animal. Now, let me just make this little comment, church. You know, the Bible says that they never told their father that Joseph was dead. They simply led him to believe he was dead. And how many know you can tell a lie without ever opening your mouth? And so they believe, Jacob believes his son is dead. And the scripture says these words, Jacob tore his clothes, put sackcloth on his waist, mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters tried to comfort him. He refused to be comforted and said, I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. And his father wept for him. Or in other words, when he believed that lie, that lie changed his life. The reality is that Jacob is going to believe for 22 years that his son is dead. And because of that, this is going to have a dramatic effect on his life. It is going to have an effect on his faith, his understanding of God's will. It's going to take the winds out of his sail. This man, his entire life is going to now be changed because somebody told him a lie and he believed a lie and it was going to transform him. In 1961, my uncle uh, was a helicopter pilot in the United States Army. And in Germany, uh, he was involved in an accident uh, and he lost his life. My grandmother, when she heard that her oldest son had died, uh, went into a state of mourning and she put black on um, and she decided, I'm going to wear black until the day I died. This happened in 1961 and my grandmother died in 1999. 38 years, uh, her life had been radically transformed uh, by the report of the death of her oldest son. In our story, this is what's happened to Jacob. Uh, His son is dead, um, and he says, I shall go down into the grave in mourning. Um, His whole life is totally different, and you know what, church? It's not even true. It's a lie. 
But lies have the power to change your life. Um, and let's understand something, church. Not every lie resolves itself in a short period of time. We think if you lie to me on Monday, I will find out by Friday. Well, the fact is, uh, it can take decades and decades for a lie to be exposed. And I submit to you that we are living in a world that is lying to us all the time. You and I, beloved, are being told things and made to believe things that are categorically not true. But yet, unfortunately, in our society, many of these big lies are accepted because they're so big. Let me mention three of them very quickly. Lie number one, and that is the lie that all religions are the same. Can you say Oprah Winfrey? This is the, uh, uh, we are being taught uh, that, well, you know, all religions are the same. Remember in the Bible when they captured the Ark, the Philistines, and they took it to the temple of Dagon and set it up next to their God? That's the world, beloved. They love to take it. Oh, it's all the same. It doesn't matter if you're a Buddhist, uh, if you're Islamic, or you're a Christian or Jewish. You just put them side by side, and that, that's all that's saying. We just want equal treatment. Uh, and, and, you know, there was a man named Josh McDowell. Some of you are familiar with him. He wrote Evidence That Demands a Verdict on the Resurrection. He wrote a book a while back called Oh God, and he tries to explain and expose uh, the gospel according to Oprah Winfrey. America's pastor, and I don't have time to go on into it all, uh, but if you bother to ever listen to this woman, you will find uh, that she has this uh, ad hoc religion where you quote some scripture, sing some gospel music, throw in a little Buddhism pepper in it, uh, a little Zeroastrianism, uh, and people walk around and think this woman has revelation. Let me help you this morning. It's all a lie. You know what else is a lie this morning? Global warming is a lie. Amen. I don't take it back. Man-made global warming is nonsense. And I, if you had a chance to take, pay any attention and read anything uh, besides People Magazine, you will find that out. That they're there, they tell you this and they tell you this uh, and people walk around uh, and think, you know, that uh, I'm going to save the environment. Listen, if you saw what happened in that tsunami in Japan, there's a lot of things nature can do that men's not capable of. But we hear this stuff over and over again. Now, the high priest uh, of the religion of global warming, Al Gore, said to some fourth graders, uh, he challenged them to write a letter to Mother Nature apologizing for polluting the earth. I think fourth graders ought to write a letter apologizing for Al Gore. <laughs> but we hear it all, and so people believe it. You know what else is a lie? While we're at it, evolution is a lie. Evolution is a lie. Okay? It's a, but we hear it. In fact, for me to say that right now is just disqualified me from ever running for president of the United States. 1913. A man is walking in a place called Suffolk in England, and he's going through a gravel pit, and he comes across a, an unusual skeleton. It just so happens that nearby is the university that is on the cutting edge uh, of teaching uh, the theory of evolution according to Charles Darwin. He takes this skull to them uh, and upon examination they determine that this skull is the missing link. That this skull is half primate, half man, and that, and that uh, it shows this, what they've always been looking for, this missing link. If evolution is true, then there should be something in between an ape and a man. Uh, and so here it is. Um, and for 50 years, beloved, listen to me. I'm, I'm sorry, for 40 years, 
This uh, skull was given as proof uh, in the highest institutions of learning uh, in the the West. Uh, It was held up uh, as proof uh, for Darwinism, as proof for evolution. Uh, And finally, around 1950, as they began to modernize uh, their dating methods, they began to look at this skull again and realized uh, that somebody way back in 1913 took two skulls put them together, uh, treated it to make it look old. It was nothing but a hoax. uh, And for 40 years, this was held up in our universities. uh, Professors uh, with little beards and tweed jackets with elbow patches and pipes uh, (laughs) held it up uh, and people took it in, but it was all a lie. These are the big lies and people walk around and just to suggest this stuff, people get upset at you. But you know, the lies that affect us really aren't the big lies. They're the personal lies. Now think about the lie that in our story. There are two things I want to highlight very quickly. Number one, notice that the lie in this story was that there was no hope. You know, they didn't say Joseph is missing or Joseph has run away or Joseph has had his feelings hurt. No, no, no. Their lie was Joseph is dead. There's no hope here. This man uh, is never coming back. It was meant to extinguish any hope inside this father that one day he may see his son again. And let me say to you, beloved, that in life, people suffer some unimaginable setbacks. Things happen. We live in a fallen world. uh, And I'm telling you, one of the biggest lies you and I have to wrestle with sometimes is that there's no hope. Stuff happens, uh, and the enemy loved to make you think tonight, today, uh, that you know what, uh, after this happened, that's it. There's no hope for things to get better. I pastor, beloved, um, uh, and have pastored for many years. Sometimes there are setbacks. People think my marriage will never be any good now. I've seen men who have fallen, who believe that God can never use me again. Uh, I see, beloved, people that have backslidden, who've come back to the church, but have been made to believe that, that you're still going to be a stepchild in the kingdom for the rest of your life. I've seen sometimes broken-hearted parents uh, who believe that their son or daughter will never serve God uh, over and over again. There is the lie, and the lie is that it's dead. It will never come back. You know what else is very interesting about this story, about the lies in this story? Is that the lie was communicated uh, by a member of the family. Beloved, I submit to you that the lies that change our life are usually spoken to us by somebody within our own family. The issues of bitterness and hatred and envy that so often happen inside of a home communicate lies. Let me describe to you what happens in San Antonio and probably happens here in Las Vegas. You get a young guy and a young girl messing around as teenagers and they start fornicating. She gets pregnant, has a little boy, and she names the little boy after the father of the baby. The dirty little secret about domestic abuse is fornication. You show me a young couple that start fornicating, I'll show you a very likelihood that the guy will start beating up on the girl. That's why I always tell girls, you don't want to get beat up when you get married, don't fornicate. And so what ends up happening is this guy starts beating on the girl and he runs off to another girl and usually he abandons this little girl and this little baby and he runs off to be with another girl, usually having punched her out a few times before he does it. So now you've got a a teenage girl with a little boy having been deeply violated by the father of that child. 
that little boy begins to grow, he has his, the, father, the name of the father, and he looks just like him. And so what happens is that girl, all the bitterness and frustration over what this guy did to her, she begins to speak it into that little boy. When he misbehaves, you're going to be just like your father. She begins to say things to him, begins to speak things, and this little boy's life begins to be shaped by this lie. I've seen it in little girls in frustration. Uh, you're going to be pregnant by the time you're 14. I go down and minister to people in the jail and I watch as I look at all the girlfriends and the little babies uh, as they're sitting there uh, in the waiting uh, to be called to go visit the father of the baby and I'm looking at this big lie being passed on to these little kids uh, because they associate their father with being inside the joint. It shapes people. I've seen gifted men, men who have talent and ability, men who should command a lot of money for their skills, and yet these guys are happy to make minimum wage because they believe a lie about themselves. How many times do you see people who think they're stupid? You're not stupid. You're actually very intelligent, but you think you are. Because a lie has been communicated to you. It's been passed down to you, and it is the way you look at your life. Let me talk to you secondly about the power of truth this morning. Because listen, lies have power, but I got good news for you this morning. Truth has power too. Amen. See, the problem is because we live in a world of lies and deception, we think that lying has all the power. And so, therefore, if I'm ever going to succeed in this life, then I have to traffic in lies. This is the only way to function in life. This is such a mindset. I remember when we went to Houston, the Pioneer, back in 1986. And we'd been pastoring in Las Vegas, New Mexico for three years. And we went up to Houston, a Pioneer. And, and uh, I'm going to make a confession to you. I was driving down the road. I hadn't changed my plates yet. And everybody knows that Texans hate New Mexicans. And I saw my New Mexican lace plate. And they pulled me over and I did not have insurance. Now, I know that nobody here has ever driven without insurance, but I did. I'm sorry. And so, you know, we were pioneering the church, and so I got a ticket, like a $181 ticket. Uh, and so, you know, I'm pioneering, and after one service, I'm talking with some of the new converts in the church, and I told them about my ticket. The next service, one of the brothers in the church, a new convert comes up to me and just gives something to me and walks away, uh, and I look at it. And it's an insurance document predated to when I got my ticket. He thought he was blessing me. Pray, I'm going to bless you, Pastor, you know. <laughs> Praise God. And so I've got this, this you know, um, this is going to get me off. This is my get out of jail card. <laughs> so I, was, I went to court, you know, and I took another new convert with me. I don't know why to this day that I took a new convert with me to court. I'm going to court with my pastor. He's discipling me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We're sitting there to be called. I've got this disciple with me, you know, this great discipleship moment here. Ah, my pastor didn't pay his insurance, praise God. I'm learning a lot from him, you know. <laughs> And as we're standing or sitting there waiting for my name to be called, I had this thing and I pulled it out and I showed it to this new comrade. I go, look at this. This, is gonna, this. this would get me off. And you know what he said? He said, praise God. I said, no, 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 no. no. I'm not going to use it. What? This would be dishonest. You know, it took him a while to kind of... Flesh and blood has to reveal, has got to reveal the sun to you. Because in our minds, man... 
So I went up there, and do you have insurance? And I had a, a, a lie in my pocket, and I said, no, Your Honor, 108. He didn't say, you know, I just really, feel, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to let He didn't do that. He said, 100, 181 bucks, son, you know. <laughs> if he thought I was going to say, he said, I don't know why I'm going to do this, but I'm going to let you go. He didn't do that. <laughs> I'm glad that I did that. I'm glad for two reasons. One is because it was right before it got a number two. That young man is still in our fellowship, but he'd be blackmailing me to this day, you know. <laughs> so I get back to church, you know, and this other new convert, well, did you, what happened? And I said, I paid, the, what do you mean you paid? I gave you that. That's not true. I can't, it's a lie. And he got all ticked off. Man, insurance companies are ripping us off. They're overcharging us and on and on and on. Because that's how we think. You got to lie in your taxes, man. You got to be dishonest because that's where all the power is. You with me this morning? Amen. Remember the old illustration about a pregnant woman that got busted after she walked out of a store and in the parking lot she gave birth to a pound of butter, a chuck roast, a bottle of pancake syrup, <laughs> toothpaste, and candy bars. One of my favorite stories, and Pastor Lamb probably used this one already, but about the inventor. You ever hear that story about the inventor? This guy just invents things. And so one morning, him, his wife, and his son are going to eat breakfast. And as they're sitting around the table on the fourth chair is this robot. Little boy comes in. He'd spent the night at his friends the night before. And the father says, uh, hey, son, what did you do last night over at Bobby's? Oh, we just watched some TV. And the father said, well, what did you watch on TV? He says, oh, we watched the Discovery Channel. And then right then, that robot stuck out an arm and slapped the boy right across the face. And that little boy's like, oh, what's that? And says, son, that's my new robot. Every time you tell a lie, it slaps you right in the face. And you be honest. And they said, dad, I'm sorry. We were watching HBO last night. And the father says, son, I want to tell you something. When I was your age, I never lied to my father. And boom, the arm pops out and hits him right in the face. He falls to the ground, he's grabbing his mouth, and his wife is laughing and laughing. And she says, what can I say? He's your son. And out came the arm. in this story in this story it appears like the lie has won I mean they have told a lie Joseph is a slave in Egypt Jacob is depressed uh, and it's like that's it but the fact is Joseph wasn't dead Joseph was very much alive and not only was Joseph very much alive Joseph was doing quite well thank you Listen to the scripture. The Bible says in Genesis 39, the Lord was with Joseph and he was a successful man. The Lord was with Joseph, showed him mercy, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. And so while the people believed the lie and the depression and everything that came with it, there was truth. It was out there. They didn't know the truth or Jacob didn't know the truth, but the truth was there. And everywhere the truth went the truth prospered 
Potiphar's house, the prison, and the palace. And let me tell you something about truth this morning, church. Truth is a survivor. It may appear like the lie has won, but I'm telling you the truth is out there and the truth prospers. You cannot kill truth. The Lord Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. This is the story of the church of Jesus Christ. It has survived the, the severest persecutions. In 1949, when Mao Zedong became the ruler over Red China, you know what they did? They slaughtered 20 million Christians. 20 million Christians. Mao Zedong's wife said that the only Christianity you will find in China will be in a museum. For 25 years, China closed its doors to the world. Most of the, of, the, of the nations of the world withdrew all diplomatic ties. And for 25 years, nobody really knew what was going on in China. Finally, in 1972, Richard Nixon, when he was president, wanting to come to an end of the Vietnam War, decided to reapproach China. When he went to China, one of the questions was, will he find a Christian in China? When Nixon and his delegation went, you know what they found? Not only did they find a Christian in China, they found there were more Christians in China now than there were in 1949. That Christianity, beloved, and truth survives. And even though it is hidden, even though most people believe the lie, the truth is out there and the truth uh, survives. I got a good report at our last Bible conference a month ago. We were able to launch Barry and Mary Lou Parker to go into Guangzhou, China and preach the gospel. They leave in two weeks. Uh, left a church of 225 people, 21 years in that church in Austin, Texas. Uh, and they're on their way to go pioneer a church in China. Hallelujah. I received a phone call uh, the other day from Hank Bruce, the pastor there, their last rally. They had 200 people, listen to me, in China, 200 on fire, praying, street preaching, radical Christian people in our fellowship now and being raised up in southern China. So you pray for China because God has, God's not through with China because you can't kill truth, church. Voltaire, as many of you know declared that the Bible would no longer exist within 100 years of his life. 100 years after he died, they were printing Bibles from his printing press. Winston Churchill said, truth is incontrovertible. Panic may resent it. Ignorance may deride it. Malice may distort it. But there it is. The book of Esther is the story of a, a grand lie. Haman, his big lie that the Jews are rebels uh, planning uh, to uh, overthrow the government uh, and that big lie it seemed to be working didn't it but behind the scenes truth is out there and truth in the end uh, uh, wins and Haman hangs on the gallows uh, that he made for Mordecai and we know that the book of Esther is the only book in the Bible where you'll not find the word God even one time. Uh, but God is on every page. Can you say amen? Uh, because truth has power this morning. Amen. Now here's the problem, church. And that is that the truth is always slower than the lie. The reason lies are so powerful is because we are in a hurry and lies run faster than the truth. Jacob will hear the lie long before he hears the truth. A lie can travel halfway around the world, somebody said, while the truth is putting on its shoes. 
in the age of the smartphone. Hey, I've got a revelation. You want to write this down? Don't believe everything on the internet. <laughs> because lies run fast. Because lies come out, um, propagandize, um, and, and if so quickly, you, you can do that. The Bible says it's simple, believe every word. You know what? Not everything you hear about somebody else is true. And so Jacob hears that his son is dead long before he hears the truth. Somebody said falsehood is always first. Truth arrives last, limping along on time's arm. Okay, let me close and talk to you about when the truth and the lie collide. Because that will happen. See, what happens in the story is that as time goes on, we know that Joseph is in the in Potiphar's house. He gets lied about again, accused of rape, goes to prison. And then in prison, he meets up with two men who work for the king, and they have dreams. And one of those men is restored back to the throne. And when the king begins to have, the pharaoh has these dream and he cannot process it. He desperately looks for answers and his, uh, his butler remembers having met Joseph in prison. He says, I know a man who interprets dreams and Joseph goes and is, interprets the dream and he's elevated to prime minister and the dream is basically that they were going to experience seven years of prosperity and then they were going to experience seven years of economic downturn. I'll pause right there for just a minute. So all the prosperity was gone and then seven years of economic downturn. And he counseled, listen, don't go crazy when you have money because you ain't always going to have money. And he said, save, learn how to save. And, and, and so Joseph gets them through the crisis. But the famine wasn't just in Egypt, it was in the entire Region And the Bible says that Jacob and his sons are now starving because they have no food. And they hear that there's food in Egypt, not knowing that it was their brother whose wisdom is the reason there's food in Egypt. And we know the story. The Bible says that ten sons, or rather nine sons, or ten sons, the youngest doesn't go Benjamin, but the ten sons who were involved in the conspiracy to have Joseph sold into slavery go to Egypt looking for bread. And when they get there, they're directed to go see Joseph, who's managing giving out food to all the hungry nations. And the Bible says that when they go to Joseph, 22 years has gone by. And how many know you don't look the same after 22 years? He's an Egyptian. He's clean-shaven. Jews had beards. Uh, and when they saw Joseph, they didn't even know that was their brother. And they immediately all bowed down to Joseph. When they bowed down to Joseph... Joseph saw these guys bowing down and he says, I've seen this before somewhere. And then he remembers when he was a teenager, he had a dream and in his dream, his brothers were bowing down to him. And he goes, man, those are my brothers. Those are my brothers who sold me into slavery. And we don't have time to go into it, but he decides to forgive his brothers. After he reveals himself to them, he says this to them. He does this. And this is where I want to pick up the story. He loads this giant camel train with food and water to be sent to his father because those folks are starving over there. And then he tells his brothers, you go back and tell my father that I'm alive and that I am prime minister of Egypt. And then he says to them, don't be troubled along the way. Now think about this church. 
I want you to go back and I want you to tell them that I'm alive and that I'm the prime minister of Egypt. Now, this is the most wonderful message that you could imagine telling a grieving father. But he says, don't be troubled along the way because he understood something. And that is for these brothers to go home and tell their father Joseph is alive. It meant that they were going to have to confess. It means that if they were going to get the truth, they had to admit the lie. And I'm telling you, church, this is the real issue for lots of people, man, is they want truth, but they don't want to ever deal with the lie. I preach services and I have these good Catholic folks come and they want to praise the Lord and praise the Lord and I love the Lord too, but you don't want to deal with the lies about Catholicism. People who will come to church, man, shacking up with some woman, uh, you know what I mean? And they'll sing the songs, they'll quote the scriptures, and they'll wear, you know, Philippians 4.13 t-shirt, but you're shacking up, man. They don't want to ever deal with the lie, they just want the truth. For these men to tell the truth, they had to say, Father, we lied to you. That's how, you know, the Bible calls that repentance. Confession. And if you're going to get right, if you're going to have the truth mean something to you, you have to be willing to say, you know what, that was a lie. It's not the same. Or I was wrong. You know what, I have not been honest. So the Bible says these men finally came and they told their father. Genesis 45 the Bible says these words, they went out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to Jacob, their father, and they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive, and he is governor over all the land of Egypt. Now think about this. Let's put ourselves in Jacob's place. Here you are, 22 years you're mourning, your son's return, and they say, Father, we have something to tell you. Better sit down. Joseph is alive and he is governor of Egypt. And you know what the Bible says? It says that Jacob's heart stood still. Think about this. Can you imagine hearing some news that is so astonishing that it would stop your heart? Something so powerful that, I mean, it just... And then the Bible says that he didn't believe him. You know what? It is possible that you can have been lied to so long and so often that even when you hear the truth, you can't bring yourself to believe it. You want to believe it. You would like to believe it, but it's like, no, 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 no. I've been told this all my life. I've listened to this for 20 years. Now you're telling me it's not true? I don't know. And even though this truth could liberate you, you're bound by that lie. You know, they, you know how they convinced him that Joseph was alive? Two ways, very quickly. Number one, the Bible says they told him all the words of Joseph. They said, Dad, this is what Joseph said, and Joseph said this, and Joseph said that. And I thought about that, and I thought, that's why we have this Bible. You know why we have this Bible? To counter all the lies that we hear every day. The reason why we come to church, and in our fellowship we come to church often, is because we're out there hearing lies all the time. And we need something. We need to hear these words to overrule all the lies that we've been, we're being told all the time. You know what the second thing they did? 
The Bible says, they said, Father, we're going to prove to you that Joseph is alive. Look, and here was this camel train of food and water in the middle of a desperate famine. Here was this supply of abundance. And the Bible says that when Jacob saw that, his spirit revived within him. And I thought about that. You know what I believe that means, church? It means that Christianity is more than intellectual. It's more than words on a page. It's power. It's demonstration. That Christianity is more than just saying, I'm going to believe a doctrine or believe a report. But you know what? Christianity is a whole camel train of God's power to meet hungry and starving people. Amen. You know, it's called healing, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, deliverance, God's power to minister. The Lord Jesus said, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. The truth is this morning that there is power in the gospel. Can you say amen? And that power, beloved, can set you free. If you're a visitor to this service and you're coming here and, you know, you say, well, that's a nice uh, message you're preaching. Uh, I thank God, beloved. But I want to tell you something. You need more than a nice message. You need the power of God to change your life. And I'm here to tell you that if any man's in Christ, he's a new creature. Jesus Christ can change your life this morning. That's power. God can work a miracle in your life. So I leave you with this as I finish this message this morning because I want you to think about something. Here's Jacob. He has a choice to make. He's, uh, he, he has been depressed for 22 years. He's starving. He's hungry. And here come his sons and they say to him a very simple message. Joseph is alive and he's governor of Egypt. I want you to think about that because this morning I come to you today all the way from the great nation of Texas <laughs> and I have a message for you and my message is not that Joseph is alive and he's governor of Egypt. I have a better message. Jesus Christ is alive and he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords this morning. <laughs> you got a choice. You can believe the lie and stay right where you are. Depressed, starving, hopeless. But if Jacob believes, his whole life is changed. He is immediately lifted out of despair. He is now going to have blessing beyond his imagination. But you have a choice this morning. You can stay believing your lie all you want. Look where it's got you. Or you can believe the truth. Let's bow our heads. Nobody moving around just for a minute. Our heads are bowed and we're before God. Thanks again for listening to the free version of the VBPH Sermon Podcast, where we post sermons on Mondays, Wednesdays, Fridays, and Sundays. We also have a premium version of this podcast, which posts sermons and interviews every single day of the week. So why would you want to subscribe? I'm glad you asked. I have five reasons for you. Number one, on the premium version, we post full versions of Testimony Tuesday, Pastor Campbell Thursday, and Study Day Saturday. If you'd like to hear those episodes, then subscribe now. Reason number two, uninterrupted listening. We remove all ads and all extraneous content from our premium feed. Reason number three, 
Premium episodes always release six hours earlier than the free version. If you're an early bird, it's a great reason to subscribe. Number four, our subscribers will gain access to our sermon chat group on WhatsApp, where we interact directly with listeners around the globe. If you'd like to chat with other premium subscribers, subscribe today. And finally, every dollar we raise goes to world evangelism. This is the best reason to subscribe because you are helping us launch churches all around the world. We don't put one dime in our pockets. Everything that we raise from this podcast will go directly to Thursday night of Chandler Conference. So please subscribe today by using the links in the show notes below. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to the sermon podcast of the Virginia Beach Potter's House Church. Were you blessed by today's message? Let us know. Please leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or on Podchaser. We'll be back next time with another life-changing word from heaven. God bless.